0: Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland.
1: Whoa, that had a weird quality to it. Oh. Did you hear that? No. Okay, well, let's keep on going. Then. And then I'm Dimity in Denver, <laughs> and I, I'm not. Oh. You're not weird.
0: <laughs> I don't have any weird qualities about me. No, and I am only in Portland though for a short time. I am jetting to Little Rock, Arkansas this afternoon, Dim.
1: Oh, you are! What a jet setter you I... are! And so in your my fair city, right?
0: <laughs> I am. I am. I have a 35-minute layover in your fair city. That I hear it is snowing, and I'm like, please, please let me make my second flight.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm looking. I can see out the window right here. It is like flakes, like um, accumulating, maybe 18 a minute. I mean, they're so it's it's like a beautiful winter snow it is not a accumulation oh, kind of good. snow oh
0: good that that
1: so hopefully that'll that'll it'll stay the course and you can get in and out um
0: because you need to get to little rock because why i do i need to get to L- do little that? rock jamming a lot into basically three days um uh, on Thursday, um, Jana, who has been on this podcast before, she and I will be scouting out all sorts of details for our run and refresh retreat. We're going starting tomorrow morning. We are going on a twelve mile run. That will be if people at the retreat need a, a long run option. Uh, we're going to scout that out. Going down to the Big Dam Bridge. Um, and then, oh, we're going to dine tomorrow evening at the restaurant, uh, owned by the chef Donnie Furneau, who will be cooking the, um, farm to table dinner uh, Friday night of the retreat. So we have to, of course, you know, get a taste of, of what it is we'll be dining on at the retreat. Um, going to be eating a lot of those grits, um, staying at, Cap- staying at Capitol, staying at capital hotel. And then, uh, I'm going to be at little rock marathon on Friday and Saturday, um, gosh, now just talking about it, there's a lot to do. Um, fr- at the expo, right? yes, at the You're gonna be at the, at the expo, and it'll be the first place that Tales from Another Mother Runner will be on sale. Um, excited
1: oh, makes me want to go just to see.
0: Oh, it. I know, I know. I'm sorry that you can't be there for the Blue Baby to make its debut. Um, and then on Friday evening, I'm part of uh, there's a VIP event with Bart Yasso, the one and only Bart Yasso from Runner's World. And then on Saturday, I am reading from the book and giving a talk at um, Capital Hotel puts on this event called the Detour Speaker Series. And so I talk and Bart Yasso speaks. And um, so it should be a good time getting to see a lot of mother runners that we've met before. And um, I'm just really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. And I guess we should just say, um, just so people know that, you know, it's not like, uh, We're not divorcing or anything. We just decided to kind of try to divide and conquer a little bit this year, um, given that we want to get to so many places. And given that Portland is such a mother humper of a city to get out of.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. That's the reason why, for example, uh, that you're going to Atlanta for a party on April 28th. And I'm not joining you because just one look at a map tells you that Portland and Atlanta are very far from each other. So, um, and then for example, I will be in Austin for a party, um, uh, at the end of March, and then at the Zuma race, and you won't be there because you're going to be on vacation with your family in Mexico. I know. I can get that <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there's all sorts of reasons, but but mainly it's a divide and conquer scenario. But we will both be on the East Coast. Um, March 9th in Massachusetts, uh, Syracuse on March 10th, Freehold, New Jersey on March 11th, and West Hartford, Connecticut on March 12th. So uh, if you want more information on those, you can go to our website and look for uh, the link to AMR in person.
1: Yeah. And, um, and since we're, we're, since we only can do this one more time, um, you and I are both going to be reading on Monday night, the second, um, at the uh, tattered, I will be at the Tattered Cover in Denver at seven on the Colfax location. And where are you going to be? Sarah? And I
0: am going to be in the Main Powell's, which is in the Pearl District at seven thirty on Monday night. So that that's going to be, uh, you know, it's um, in tandem. We'll be almost almost with the time difference um, reading, and so that's going to be a ton of fun. So we hope to see a lot of Mother Runner smiling faces out there in the audience at our readings.
1: And where I'm not going to be, in addition to Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Is um is Napa this weekend? But my husband, Mr. Grant Davis, is going to be there, and he is running a marathon,
0: Sarah. He's representing the mother tribe. <laughs> yes, he he is. The
1: mother tribe. <laughs> he's not representing the mother
0: tribe. The running tribe. Yeah, that's exciting. So he's kind of been doing it, uh, doing his training under the radar. Um, I well, I just I just haven't. No, it up. well, actually, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, also, then I asked him about it on the phone one time when I called your house, and I was like, Hey, he's sort of been keeping it secret, and he said that he wanted to make sure he could get through his 20 miler before he kind of talked about it very much so he's a sandbagger that's all there is to it
2: he
1: is a little bit of Mm sandbag well he's he's he you know he has this plan that he um kind of cribbed from runner's world Mm -hmm. that's kind of a riff on the run less run faster i mean he runs three days a week and then he's going to orange theory fitness two days a week and i mean it just works for him Mm -hmm. really well the resilient little mother humper that he is
0: <laughs> hey hey we uh, don't want to hear details like that Dimity. we don't <laughs> no, no, no. TMI, TMI. Um,
1: but yeah no i i have i just wanted to wish him well he's probably not going to listen to this but he'll be running on sunday um a long story but i did not get invited to napa to accompany him on his boston qualifying pursuit which is fine for a lot of reasons but um so just sending him love he i think he needs to run I don't even know. Uh, I think a sub 325. Mm. But I think he wants to go like 321 or something so that he has a little bit of a cushion to actually get in because um, he has qualified once, but he, he didn't have enough of a window. I think he needed something like 15 more Ugh. seconds or something ridiculous. So, so, um, so
0: painful. I mean, so- and
1: that was that was the Colorado marathon. Mm-hmm. That was it's mostly downhill, but that was Colorado. So it's going to Napa. And I believe this has a slight downhill um have you you
0: have run? i, ha- napa, I napa. ran napa it was i ran that uh, that was my first marathon after having a baby phoebe was 14 months old and i write about it actually and run like a mother that that was that horrific night before a race where she decided to cry most of the night um but so you know it the, napa talks about it's a point-to-point course it follows um what's called the silverado trail um and it so it um just goes um through vineyards um on, pa- on paved roads but it is exquisitely gorgeous but they said they talk about oh it's a downhill 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 and I distinctly remember there being two fairly long climbs they weren't they weren't um steep but they definitely went on for far longer than I wanted in a race that was billed as being mostly downhill Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah and definitely my tip to him would be wear sunglasses and a hat because I only wore sunglasses and the sun just it's just blinding because you're running south. And, oh. and, um, so, and, you know, it's, uh, there's mustard blooming in the fields right now in the vineyards. And so, you know, me, I love my flowers. And so I was like, when I was running, I thought, oh, let me turn my head and look at the flowers. And all I could see were sunspots. I <laughs> just was like, oh, wow. oh okay. Wow. No, never mind. Keep head facing forward. <laughs> I don't, he, he's such a creature of habit.
1: You know, he, he needs, um, glasses. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he can. I don't know if he has sunglasses he can run in. Oh. Um, I, know, I know he has a special running hat. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and actually, now that I think about this, I really need to like make him a little love you, good luck, Honey, go get it package.
0: Uh. And you sound so Oh, so, I to say that with such, so, such enthusiasm. Exactly. You're, oh, now that I finally realize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something tells me you might have some oh, goo and noon and a couple other goodies yeah. laying around your house. Sure
1: that that's going to I'm not sure that's going to like be like, "Wow, she really went out of her way for <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh, me." Wow, she opened up the closet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to do something. But um yeah, no. So, uh anyway, so if you're listening to this on Saturday or especially on Sunday morning, Just think, go little, ah, I call him Husey.
0: Go Husey, go. (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, Husey, go for it. We know you're strong and, uh, you know, channel your inner mother runner and you're going to get it, I know. So um, yeah, well, we're joined today by a guest and we're going to be talking about how to prep for a triathlon and answer all sorts of questions.
1: All right, so standing next to me is Miss Barry Hufford, who is a Level 2 USA triathlon coach who happens to live here in Denver. So, yeah, I have another in-studio guest. It's so exciting. (laughs) I had to show her. I'm like, okay, I haven't vacuumed. It's all right. It's all (laughs) going to be all right. Anyway, um, Barry is awesome. She specializes in training female triathletes from newbies on up. Um, She is head coach for the Colorado's Try for the Cure, which is a sprint race, and she has a personal connection to that race, as she lost her mom to breast cancer three years ago. She's also the mother of two little boys who are seven and four. Yes. Right? Yep. Um, and so she knows inherently that you can't dedicate four hours a day to a sport. Um, she also believes in chocolate and wine, um, and that pizza is the best fuel ever. <laughs> so, um, so she's a kindred spirit. Yeah, yes. around these
2: parts. Yes. So, yes. welcome, Barry. Well, thank you. Yeah, It's great to be here. Good, I appreciate it.
0: Good. Yeah, it was that uh, when we kind of put out, when Dimity put out the call to to find a tri-coach who could join us on this show, she was like, I really like Barry. And when I saw the chocolate and wine, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Dimity's yeah,
1: she's gal. A girl. She's a girl. Well, yeah, I belong to a, a Facebook, like an Endurance Girl kind of Colorado Facebook page. And I, I put up the the status like, Okay, we've got to lose the intense Colorado attitude, you know, like not everyone <laughs> right. owns a wetsuit and, uh, you know, bike with, um, oh my gosh, I've even forgotten, one are the aero bars. Oh, that, yeah. That's how far I am from my triathlon days, oh, my aero bars, or <laughs> a well, bike period. Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, I think it can be, sometimes be intimidating to jump into the triathlon world because so many people are already involved, and so you just kind of have to know that everybody started somewhere. Right. So. To be a little more natural and normal is sometimes welcoming for the newbies. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you all do live in a tough state to break into the sport. I mean, when I think Colorado, I think very hardcore triathletes.
2: Yeah, well, I've got my splits tattooed to my arm. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> she showed them to me earlier. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah no, yes. no Sharpie for you. Only tattoo, nice, permanent ink.
2: Kidding. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So um, so we kind of divided up the questions that we um, got from our Facebook tribe um, and we kind of broke them up into some categories rather than just you know going pell-mell at various different topics so we're gonna go with some general tips first and a question from Jennifer sort of on the topic of what we were talking about just then it's um, what are newbie mistakes to avoid? Jennifer's going to be doing her first try, a sprint in June, and she doesn't want to do anything stupid. And that's her word, not, not ours.
2: <laughs> well, I think for Jennifer, what she should do is um, realize that just the fact that she signed up for the sprint, there's nothing stupid about that. And whether she, you know, has no knowledge of the sport and just crosses the finish line with a smile on her face, like, that's a good goal to have. Like what I tell the newbies to do is just enjoy the moment. Like some of them hire me as a coach and I'm constantly, you know, guiding them through their journey. And some people are just asking me if they, if I ever had fun at a triathlon, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's their basis for doing things. I would say that whatever their weak link may be, whether it's swimming or cycling or running to maybe hook up with somebody that, you know, swimming is my specialty so as far as like giving them some tips on efficiency and to train efficiently so that you don't have to spend hours and hours you know in a gym or a pool you can kind of figure out the the basis and the bottom line level of training that you need like with it being a sprint honestly and I'm not belittling the sprint but she could probably do it tomorrow and be okay and so you just want to kind of introduce yourself to all three modes of training and, you know, maybe put a bike and a run together so she can feel what her running legs feel like after a bike. But, um, you know, I think if it's open water, that's a, that's one thing that she can, should try and set aside is to grab a buddy or find a clinic that's in open water and at at least attend one of them. So it's not such a huge shock to the system. That's probably people's weakest link is diving into an open water situation. Right,
0: right. I remember when I did my I've done I am not a triathlete, but but back in the nineties I did I guess maybe two of them. In my first triathlon I had three goals. I had one for each discipline. In the swim my goal was to not have my goggles kicked off my face. Mm -hmm. For my bike it was to not fall off the bike. And right. and then I got, I don't know where I pulled this kind of ambitious high end goal out for the run, but it was to, I didn't even know the term negative split, but I wanted to run the second, <laughs> I wanted to run the second half faster than the first half. So, right. so I was so pleased when I got on the bike, I'm like, sweet, my goggles didn't get kicked off. And then, you know, when I started yeah. running. I'm like, yay,
2: I didn't fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we can touch upon this later. I think we're going to with transition times, but just like you know, make a list and be prepared for the day of the race and kind of review that list a couple different times just to make sure you don't forget anything like a helmet mm. or things like that. But you know, yeah, but we'll, I mean, I, I think we're going to approach that question sure. later, but
1: the other thing too, I think, um I mean, as uh, Barry noted, I mean, it can be intimidating to step up, especially I think the first part of the triathlon, when everyone's like setting up their transition area is the most intimidating. And I, I mean, for me, I kind of put on my blinders. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to look at your like muscle body and I'm not going to look at you like, you know, pumping up your tires and all that because it just freaks me out that I'm, you know, not doing that or I'm like, oh, should I be doing that or what, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I think, you know, I think to remember that you have a right to be there just like everybody else, no matter, you know, what you look like or what your experience is. And then I also find for me, um, you know, just kind of, putting yourself in the right place. I mean, the swim, especially, you know, you talked about getting your goggles kicked off. You know, if you are not a confident swimmer for the first race, put yourself at the back of the pack to the Mm -hmm. side, you know, so you can find a pocket of space for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly on the bike, you know, people go whizzing by you just say, okay, I'm going to stay on the right no matter what until I'm ready to pass somebody. And, you know, you pass on the left and you just make sure you have again a pocket of space, just kind of making sure that you just are, comfortable, mm-hmm. um, through the whole experience so that you
2: want to come back and try it again. Right. Well, and one last thing, I think like things to avoid is to do too much. Like I, I would rather go into a race under trained than overtrained. And I think so many people nowadays try and do too much too soon where they're trying to do a 40 mile bike ride in February and your sprint distance is a 12 mile bike in June. You don't need to do a 40 mile bike ride in February. So it's one of those things that just try and not take more on than you can handle and just kind of do what you can and go from there. That's
0: great.
1: Okay. Well, so yes, we talked a little bit about transitions. Um, Karina is doing her first sprint triathlon this summer and she's wondering how, how does she handle the transitions? How do you tell your clients who are first timers how to get through those smoothly?
2: Well, so I think what people should do is not bring the, everything in the kitchen sink <laughs> to the transition area. Like I think so many people think I should have everything there. And you literally have a maybe two foot by three foot space next to your bike to be able to put all your equipment. And maybe I'm estimating. I'm not an architect, so I can't even think. But it's no bigger than a towel. Um, And so you want to line up everything in the order that you're going to do it. So a lot of people will put their running shoes in front of their cycling shoes when you really need to have access to your cycling shoes first. So you just want to, I have people walk through their race looking at their transition area. Like I have them, so many people put their helmets on their bike. I think that's the wrong thing to do because that could easily get knocked over and then you can't find your helmet or it, you know, heaven forbid, but it cracked or something like that. Or you had your glasses in your helmet and that got knocked over and you can't find your goggles or your glasses. So I would put the helmet on top of your cycling shoes with the straps out and your glasses in The helmet. And the reason why is I want you to put your glasses on first versus put your helmet on and then try and thread your sunglasses through the straps and you poke an eye. So um, it's happened. Yes. I'm just saying. Yes. (laughs) To me. Um, (laughs) But that way you kind of set up what you're doing first. If you are wearing a shirt or some type of jersey, put that over the glasses, because you've got to put that on first before you put your glasses and your helmet. So you're kind of laying out your transition area in the step that you're going to take. Um, so you've got your shirt, if you're going to wear anything, or least case scenario, your sunglasses and your helmet. They're on top of your shoes. If you have socks, put the socks in the shoes. I mean, you're, you're dumbing it down as much as possible. And then when you come back from the bike, put um, your your racing belt on top of your shoes, put your hat on top of the, racing belt that way that's also going to remind you to take off your helmet before you run off into T2. (laughs) That happens so many times. It's very funny. So many times. Yeah. So just line it up if you look on websites everywhere there they've got pictures of how a transition area should look so that should be helpful. And
1: then you can put your if you are going to have if you're going for a longer race or going to be out there for a while you know put your gels mm-hmm. um, in in your shoes yep. um so you pull those out and stuff them in before um similarly sunscreen i feel like it's important to have out if you need to lather back up um either after the swim or after the bike
0: yep you all truly do live in colorado talking about sunglasses and sunscreen <laughs> yeah so so we had a question from sarah who sounds like she's uh done a few tries already she wants to know how do you pick your first 70.3 race which is a, a commonly known as a half iron man and so so let's expand this question to picking a race in general you know what what are some considerations for when you choose a race barry
2: well i think for one you know if she's if she wishes to travel to make this kind of an a fun adventure, then she needs to look and see, you know, what's out there and where she wants to go. If she's looking local, you know, sometimes you're looking at the race course or the elevation gain or, you know, whether it's, whether the course is on a busy street for some people, you know, they don't want to be on a bike on the highway or, you know, or some people hate racing in Colorado because it's a mile up. Some Mm -hmm. people love it because it is a challenge being a mile up. You know, also timing of the year is important, too. If you, you know, love Hawaii, <laughs> or I think Hawaii's 70.3 is in June, so that's not maybe a good example. But, like, if you've got a 70.3 in March sometime, that's fabulous if it's in an exotic place. But if you live in Boston right now, there's no way you're getting on your bike outside. So you sometimes have to back up to see how much time... In- time for training you have that's going to lead to that 70.3. So I think location and timing of the race are both important factors and just support system. Like some people want to race local so that they can get their friends and family involved and some people want to make an adventure out of it and go to a completely different state. So I think she needs to ask herself that question, whether she's willing to travel or whether she wants to make it an easy 70.3 or have it be a challenge. And
1: how much do you have your clients look at the course and decide? I mean, if they like Hills or they don't like Hills or they like, like two laps
2: versus one. I mean, is that something that you take into consideration or not really? Honestly, not a lot. Okay. Like, because quite frankly, the distance is the distance is the distance. So, I mean, I think there are definitely some triathlons out there that really love to hurt people. Yeah. And so, and I mean that in joke, joke mm-hmm. in jest, but, um, you know, just they try and make it as challenging as possible. And other times they're recognizing that it is a 70.3 and so it's going to be a challenge regardless. And
0: and then for people who are thinking about a sprint or an Olympic, I mean, do then you have to think about maybe things like, oh, is it in a pool? Is it in the ocean? Is it in right. a lake? You know. Yeah.
2: And both are, you know, have pros and cons to them. Like pro, being in a pool, yeah, you're not dealing with the open water situation, but you're also dealing with, I'm just going to throw this out there, but some of the pool swims that I've done, you're assigned to heats but it's not really a very um, structured way that you're assigned. Like you're guesstimating what your hundred split time is. Mm. Well, it's kind of like asking you how much you weigh. I mean, you're gonna lie. So <laughs> never, never.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm, I'm 125. What are you think?
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Right around there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
2: You know, I've been in in many heat situations where there's been many boys involved or guys in my lane. And they just assume that the women are not going to be as fast, and so you have to, you know, pass people or hope that they wait for you at the other end. Or if you're on the slower side, you're getting grabbed all the time, and you know. So pool swims aren't exactly ideal. I've always just or thought
0: there would be like a melee, like just a frothing sea of of, <laughs> of arms and legs and oh, right,
2: yeah, exactly. So I mean, definitely and that's something to consider. Like some people are just deathly scared of swimming in the open water because jaws is underneath there. (laughs) And so they just won't even touch. Uh Yeah. An open water situation. So you do have to look at that. I would say like, The course and the elevation is something that could help you prepare, but I would say it's very important to know whether it's a pool or open water situation. Mm
1: -hmm. And I just have to say, jaws, well, I've never done an ocean swim, so I guess I shouldn't speak to that, but I think worse than the the jaws is seaweed. When I touch seaweed, (laughs) I just flip
2: out. Or is it really
1: seaweed? I know, I know, there's definitely something else that I don't want to know, but something about that, like what's hiding in there and just the <laughs> consistency of it. Oh, I just, I really power up my kick get out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, so now we're going to have a couple questions about gear, especially for triathlons. Um, Christine and a couple other women were wondering, um, what do you wear as a first-timer? If you don't want to put money into a sport, you're not sure you're going to do again. So what are like some basics that you could get by with, as a runner, most mm-hmm.
2: of the time? I think for the shorter distances, um, you could easily wear a bathing suit and then put on some bike shorts after you swim. Do not wear bike shorts in the water whatsoever. You want to wear try shorts. And if you think that there, if you're not sure if there's any difference, you could try it and come out with, with your bike shorts weighing about. Thirty to thirty-five pounds, because bike shorts
1: have that a very thick chamois. It's called that has the padding to protect your most you know delicate areas. Right. So you definitely want to invest in a pair of bike shorts, and you can get them you know off of um like I don't know on the internet for like forty bucks or something Mm because that'll help with your training too. It's not you're you're just not wearing those on race day. You're wearing those to get ready too. Right.
2: Yep. But if you and if you did want to invest in tri shorts. I know with most of my races, I'm literally wearing a tank top that has a built-in sports bra um, and some tri-shorts that just kind of act as my swimming trunks. And then the, the nice thing about tri-shorts, and again, same concept, it's about 30 to $40, is they dry easily. It's a thinner padding, but it, yet it still provides you the protection you need. But I also think it really dries. Well, yeah. <laughs> I beg to on sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah. but I also think it dries quicker than, say, a bike short. It's kind of like swimmer's diapers for kids. And so, you know, this being a mother's website, you can tell, like, you'll never put your kids in a normal diaper and have them in the kiddie pool <laughs> versus, like, have them... And a swim diaper. Yeah, a swim yeah. diaper. Big difference. Yeah. Huge.
1: Well it's, it's like a, a difference between like a, a a panty liner and a
2: maxi. That's pad what I was a, that that was the, the analogy longer. I was
0: gonna go for. Yeah.
2: Yeah. high yeah. shorts Huge. and maxi pad is the is the bike. Yeah. <laughs> and then with your bike, I mean, if you're doing a a race for the first time, I don't think you need to invest in a fast, expensive bike right away. Like if you've got a mountain bike or if you've got a ten year old bike. Or even if you've got a cruiser, I mean, that's not something that's out of the ordinary seeing first timers use. Um, Just to kind of see if you're in love with the sport before you really drop some cash involved in the race. Um, And then as far as shoes are concerned, you know, bike shoes are definitely going to help you. But if depending on what your bike has, if it just has toe cages, then you just wear your um, running shoes and go from there yeah
1: or just flat pedals too i mean flat pedals and your running shoes work so really you need the only thing you really need to buy is a helmet is a helmet we'll have a bike helmet yeah and your sunglasses if you're racing in colorado (laughs) hopefully hopefully you have a swimsuit but bike shorts are really the only thing that and you can run in your swimsuit and bike shorts as well or a sports bra i mean a a sports bra is another option to wear if you have tri shorts and
0: and you all mentioned um race belt though when you were talking about the transitionary do you feel because I when I, like I said I did two tries and I don't own a race belt and I just I think I must have pinned it on my jersey before I got there. Yeah, but
2: Sarah, you look so much cooler with a race belt <laughs>
0: on. They didn't have cameras back then. I don't know. Oh.
1: <laughs> I know. I don't remember, do you remember Iron Man when I learned that I had to like
0: reposition
1: my race belt? So I, I borrowed Oh one
0: yeah. Oh right, and you And then I
1: had it up against up on my like my real waist and like I looked like I was like you know. A traveler in Germany with my fanny pack on, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I had to, like I didn't realize all the cool kids kind of pull it down to their
2: hips. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: so
0: yeah, I remember that's yeah. something to know. But no, you don't need
1: one by any stretch. You yeah. can just pin your number on. I mean, typically you put your number on your bike, right? Yes. and then you put your and then you put your race number on your running jersey.
2: Yeah, the only thing why you might not wear pin your numbers on is if you're going to swim in the tank top mm-hmm. that you're biking and running in. Like you I'd hate for somebody to be really wet and be handling safety pins to try and pin their numbers. Sure. Like their transition time will be 20 minutes. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, but so the the race belt would work in that situ- situation. But if you're going to put on a tank top After your swim, then that's probably the easiest way to go is to pin the bib number onto that shirt that you're going to wear.
0: Right before the race, before even get to the race, so you do that the night before. Yeah, Yeah. and also not
2: do it in transition. Yeah, and um, I know that
0: I at the time when I did it, I only had a mountain bike, but I uh, made the investment to and I got slicks. Uh, slick tires yeah. for my mountain bikes. So that I was like, okay, so at least I won't be like a you know tractor going down the road with these big <laughs> knobby <Right>. tires. <laughs>
2: right, exactly. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Um, and so a lot of people will do.
0: Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy for humans. BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month for dogs. BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. Bark boxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first Bark Box. Dimity let Bark Box know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free, because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel any time. Free shipping in the continental U.S. For a free extra month when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com AMR. That's BarkBox.com AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com AMR when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash AMR.
2: Or you can rent them or you can even rent bikes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I would rent the bike, a bike for maybe a couple training runs if you don't have a bike at all. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, people really race in their cruisers and they're, they're one of the cool kids. Like they're almost <laughs> cooler than the one that's got the $4,000 bike. Cause yeah, it's right. th- what they're out there doing is having fun.
0: Yeah. They're the so. retro grouch is out there. Yep. Um, so, and also, um, people asked about renting wetsuits. Is that a pretty common thing mm-hmm. you can rent across the country yep. or just in Colorado? Well, <laughs> in California, maybe.
2: Exactly. I think you can rent wetsuits. The only thing that I would suggest is that you specify that it's for triathlons versus diving. Oh, yeah. because <laughs> I think the diving wetsuits are a little thicker. Oh,
0: yeah, and, and maybe like, because you don't necessarily need a full body wetsuit. Um,
2: you don't, but you can. Mm hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the warmer the water, the less wetsuit you want. Um, and the I, I know that, I don't know the name of it, but I know that they, I've seen advertisements where you can um, rent them online too. Oh. So if you did a little Google search, I bet you could find that. Um,
0: Look at that. Yeah. It's like getting being getting like a prom dress or a bridesmaid's dress online, you yeah. know, renting it and sending it back. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, um, so you mentioned sports bras, and um, so we got a question from some uh what I assume are some larger breasted women, um Hall and Lisa both wonder, how do you keep proper support of the girls through each part of the try, and so Hall mentioned that she wears an anel bra, which are those very um you know, iron, iron maiden. Yeah. Bulletproof type. Yes. (laughs) Straight jacket, bulletproof, iron maiden, all of the above apply with all the little hook and eye up the front. So she was thinking, you know, wearing that underneath her swimsuit. Um, so she's wondering if they'll, if she wears it underneath her swimsuit, will it still give her the support? Is it going to cause chafing? You know, what do you suggest there, Barry?
2: Well, I am not well endowed. So I've never worn
0: the three of us have no insight into this question right. whatsoever. <laughs>
2: exactly. So I have never worn the bulletproof bra before, but for some of my triathletes that are, the, yes, I do recommend any type of sports bra that they're comfortable with, um, to wear it under their wets under their swimsuit. And I, I suggest that under versus over cause they'll, oh boy. they'll look funny. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as chafing is, is concerned, any type of body glide, which if you were to go to any bike store or anything like that, what it really looks like is deodorant mm-hmm. and you just would put it kind of around under the arms, maybe even around the neck area, and yeah. just kind of um practice with it is my Yeah, I would
1: wear it in major the major recommendation. I would wear it in a pool and get out and go for like a two mile run with it. Yeah. And see how that feels. I mean, because the bike is is less of a an- impact sport. So, um, and, and Barry mentioned body glide and I just wanted to throw this out there because it does make a huge difference. Um, if you are going to wear a wetsuit and you haven't worn one before, make sure to body glide your neck, your armpits under, I think in front of your, like where your underwires would go on your bra. I mean, anywhere that you feel like, you know, your skin might come in touch with your skin or it's a, it's a tight spot anyway, just, you know, it's a friction loaded spot. Put it on. I mean, just lube yourself up, sister.
2: Mm-hmm. But don't wear Vaseline. Like some people will think, well, I don't have body glide, so I'll just wear Vaseline. The reason why I say don't put Vaseline on, um, you can, but just make sure you thoroughly dry and wash your hands off because the Vaseline shifting the bike. Oh, yeah. You know, you just don't want to be able to uh, not be able to do that. So that would be my only suggestion with the Body Glide is it's it looks like a deodorant stick, so you just kind of roll with it. Yeah,
1: it's easier to get. And that way,
2: in. also, if you're wearing a wetsuit and you've got Vaseline on your um, fingers, you're never getting that wetsuit off because <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to be slipping and sliding through things. So,
0: that actually just, that actually leads us to a question from Mary, who's making a transition from sprint to Olympic distance. So it means she's going from the pool to open water. And that she says she's okay with wearing a wetsuit, but it's a getting in and out of it that she's worried about.
2: Yeah. So practice, practice, practice is the best thing that she can do. The more body glide she's going to put, like, I would put body glide on the wrists. I would put body glide around the neck. And then I would also put body glide around the ankles Mm. so that you can kind of slip those, slip that wetsuit off. Um, It is a science and it takes some getting used to, but, I think sometimes slipping the wetsuit off is easier than putting it on. Oh, it definitely is because it's yeah. wet. So, um, you know, getting in and out of the wetsuit, getting in, you know, it's a comedy of events just seeing people get into it. You know, it's a one big pantyhose of <laughs> a
1: nightmare. Yeah, so give yourself a good, you know, 15 minutes to get into it. Make sure you go to the bathroom before you get into
2: it. Yeah. And some, although I don't think the Olympic distances would have this, but sometimes there's volunteers that will strip your wetsuit down. Like you literally just sit and they'll pull you off. But what I would tell her to do is if she's having problems, especially in a race situation, like sit down in your transition area and try and strip that down. Um, Also getting out of the water. She can start to strip the wetsuit down, so she just unzips it. Some people will even start taking off the wetsuit and just kind of lowering it down to her hips and then running to the transition area. So by the time she gets to the transition area, the wetsuit's halfway off. And the wetsuits
1: have a long, um, attached to the zipper is a long cord. So it's not like you're, you know, doing yoga to get it off. You can grab the cord and just yank it down. Yeah. It's not, it's not that hard. Yeah. Um, and that's where kind of, um, knowing the right wetsuit for their temperature. I mean, so if you are going to rent one or borrow one or something, I mean, I mostly swim in, um, in, uh, sleeveless wetsuits here in Colorado in the summertime, cause you don't need the sleeves. It's warm enough in the water. So, you know, a full body wetsuit is a pretty intense experience so you got to be going to some cold water for a long time to want your arms fully covered and your legs don't you
2: think yeah it's also expensive i mean like some of these wetsuits are pretty pricey so um whereas the the farmer johns tend to be a little cheaper and those are the ones without the sleeves you sometimes have just shorts so um so yeah she should experiment with wetsuits and then you know Using it, she can use it in a pool or she could even use it in the shower and practice getting in and out of the wetsuit.
0: I got to say one one point about um, wetsuits. I'm reminded of um, my friend Chris, who is a man, but he's a dad. Um, But he was the editor of Inside Triathlon magazine. So, you know, he should have been a pro, but he was um, didn't do a ton of races and he never tried out his wetsuit before he wore it in a race. And, Sometimes. and so he, um, you know, it's not like he writes about it for a living or something at the time. This was back in the nineties again. And he kind of had a panic attack because mm-hmm. the wetsuit was so constricting. Claustrophobic. Yes. Yep. And so yep. he, um, hung on to one of the kayaks, you know, the volunteers who were out there and the guy, you know, he hung there for a couple minutes Finally, the guy was like, okay, do you want to start swimming again? He's like, no, take me back to shore. <laughs> yeah. and, um, but then he did end up and then he was ready to pack it in and his wife and two daughters were there and his wife was like, no, 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 go bike, run. You're good at those sports. So right. I think the moral of that story is to definitely practice wearing a wetsuit and, and swimming in it because particularly mm-hmm. at, at altitude, because at altitude, the pressure um, in the water feels greater as well. I don't mean to scare people, but.
1: I know. I think we're like, <laughs> we're like I'm never going to put one on. <laughs> I will say the flip side of a wetsuit, if you've never swum in one, is that swimming feels so much easier. Oh, yeah. You're in the right size and the right oh, you know. You're fit floating. Brain. Oh. It's 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 not effortless by any stretch, but if you struggle in the swim and then get to get in a wetsuit in the lake, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's it's quite delicious.
2: Yeah. I'll agree on both sides in the sense that like, yes, it can be very claustrophobic for people because it is around your neck and it, it is supposed to be tight because what you don't want to do is have the water go in and fill your wetsuit. Mm-hmm. You know, while you're swimming, but at the same time, like I now granted, both of us are swimmers, but I just, I barely kick with a wetsuit on because I'm just floating through the water with that wetsuit. Plus you're warmer. I mean, it's just, it is an advantage, but at the same time, it's something that needs to be practiced beforehand. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so let's, let's move on from our claustrophobia (laughs) Um, and, um, and we're going to move on to some training questions. Um, Kathy is wondering about um, spending more time in the saddle. So whether she's riding outside or in a spin class, um, her weekly mileage goes down just um, naturally because she doesn't have time to do everything. So is she supposed to aim for a certain weekly number um, of miles or does time on the bike equate to a certain amount of running miles? She's just trying to find a good balance between riding and cycling, no, no. riding and running. I mean, riding and <laughs> cycling and running. <laughs> <Slimming.
2: laughs> yeah. I, I think the difference between training for, you know, say a marathon or a half marathon and training for a triathlon, the most frustrating part can be the juggling act as far as trying to fit in all three different sports into one week. And so I don't necessarily think that any bike time would equate to a certain amount of running miles. I think bike time equates to bike time. So, you know, I tell my triathletes to try and aim for twice a week on all three sports, but for some people that, you know, they don't have that much time. And I'm not talking like, an hour on each mode, like some of the running, maybe two miles one day and four miles the next day. So it's not a a lot of training, but it it is a juggling juggling act. So she wants to be able to spend time on the bike, um, whether she's taking a spin class, whether she's on her trainer, whether she's outdoors and you're doing that to get better at your biking. So your running mileage is going to be compromised a little bit, but depending on your goals, um, you know, maybe you, if you're training for half marathons and marathons in addition to the triathlons, that's where you might have to do a little more of a balance where you might run three times a week and cycle twice and swim once and then flip it the next week where you're cycling once and swimming twice, you know, so...
1: Well, and and if they're coming from background as a runner, I mean, don't you, do you think that it's, uh, it's more important to get those other two skills down so they can, it's okay if their mileage goes down on the road, right?
2: We all avoid what we're, what we suck at (laughs) and we, you know, and we always pay attention to what we're good at and not saying that we shouldn't pay attention to what we're good at, but you're probably not going to improve as much as you are on the different sports that you aren't. Um, don't have as much experience with so you definitely want to tackle those modes to try and improve and probably see bitter bigger improvements with that Mm
0: -hmm. well that's a good good reminder that that um, you know even if they're kind of hesitant to go to the pool or or you know get out on the bike it's like oh yeah but the rewards are going to be so much greater so yeah um, you know kind of hang that out there as a carrot Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Nicole was wondering, uh, and this, I, I'm thinking that Nicole might live back East or in the Midwest. Um, she wants to know mm-hmm. if she can do bike rides on a trainer and still have a successful race. And before we answer the question, uh, maybe dim explain to people what a trainer is. Cause I know you have quite a bit of experience with one
1: yeah we've talked about it a little bit in the podcast it's a it's a machine that attaches you attach the back wheel of your bike to and so um it basically you can spin your bike you can ride your bike without going anywhere and you can re- increase the resistance on it so you can um make a, a ride harder or easier um and, and alternatively you can also put um like books under your front wheel um to make to simulate climbing like we were talking mm. earlier about you know simulating a race so yeah, when I was um, training for Iron Man, Coeur d'Alene, you know, I would often I would often like to simulate the hills. She'd be like, you know, put three books under your thing and ride for whatever, you know, this amount of hills or whatever it was. So, so when
0: you put like Jonathan Livingston Seagull or you put like a encyclopedia <laughs> or something. So
1: oh, it's more of a dictionary type
0: uh, nice. yeah, <laughs> You're like, I put three books, Brie. What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, that
2: war and peace finally came in handy. <laughs> yeah. A couple
1: of Harry Potter volumes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what do you think about riding inside?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I would almost prefer that people, if they have access to this, that riding on a trainer is going to help them, help benefit their training better than say a spin class and not to, um, yeah, diminish the spin classes. I think that's helpful too, but it's not simulating what you're riding. So, um, So if she has access to a trainer, then yes, that would be helpful to just kind of you know get acclimated and you know increase your saddle soreness. Sure, yeah. um, Versus like a spin class. Well, yeah,
1: that's another huge benefit is you're spending time on your own bike, so you're Mm -hmm. getting used to you know shifting and getting your you know
2: your ass leathered up
1: (laughs) and being bored. And being bored, just sitting there, yeah. Like yes.
2: spin class, some some of them are really fun and exciting. So, whereas I don't think anybody ever would equate biking on a wind trainer fun. So, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of practicing what you're going to be out there doing. And the other thing, I, I I I
1: I love like numbers and the training equations and stuff. And I've heard, you know, if you go ride a bike outside for sixty minutes. That's really the equivalent of like a 45 minute ride mm-hmm. on the trainer because you're pedaling the whole time there's no coasting there's no stopping at stop signs I mean it's a right. more intense situation right yeah. Absolutely Yep I would
0: agree with that All right and then okay. oh go ahead Oh so to ask Oh, <laughs> Let's just interrupt <laughs> anyway. right right for the rest of... <laughs> All right Um,
1: Amanda needs to figure out how to do swim workouts. She's like, where do you start with swimming? My gym has a master swim class, but the time doesn't work for her. So how if you need to learn how to swim, where do you go?
2: So um, where do you start? You wear a bathing suit first. (laughs) Get some goggles. Yeah. And a cap, probably, Um, just to help with the hair situation, whether you have long hair or short hair, sometimes just getting it out of the way is helpful, I would find. And I don't think that's her question, but (laughs) I'm going off on a tangent. Um, But as far as master swim classes, like maybe what she can do is if she belongs to a gym and they do indeed have a pool, then maybe there's somebody there that either um, can give her a lesson or two, um, and then, or just get some, you know, contact the master swim coaches and maybe see if they have some examples of the workouts that they give to the master swimmer. So even though you might not be swimming with them, you might be doing what they are are practicing on. Um, but with, with a, hiring a swim coach, I find it quite helpful because sometimes you just, watching a video, you may not know am I doing that right? Like, I mean, I have people reference videos sometimes so that they can see what it looks like, but then they've got to, you know, bring it to their own skill and stroke. And if you don't know if you're doing that right, like Michael Phelps is beautiful to watch, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like, am I swimming like Michael Phelps? Hell no. (laughs) So you kind of have to maybe have somebody see it and, and point out your strengths and your weaknesses Um, even if it's just one lesson or, you know, have a friend or a buddy film you or something like that, that, you know, we all might know somebody that's a better swimmer than ourselves. And so if you can buddy up with somebody, maybe they can give you some pointers. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, just to piggyback on what Barry said, I think,
1: I think it's so, I mean, swimming is so much about technique. You can't muscle your way through the water. Um, as much as I like to, (laughs) (laughs) I wish that were the case, but. It really is about, you know, getting as much um glide as you can stroke and being super efficient. And so if you can invest in something before a triathlon, if swimming is not your strong suit, you know, a lesson or two is going to pay off in
2: spades, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think so. And plus then you know you're, that you're practicing correctly. So I, you know, I'm a, I train a lot of people swimming and I love it when they say, After their first lesson, well, okay, so I'm going to practice this for a month and then come back to you. And so I I actually deter that and I say, well, I'd actually like to see you next week to make sure that you're practicing what I tell you correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, and then once I trust that you're going to do what I tell you, then we can kind of wean off from there. But sometimes if the lessons are few and far between, you tend to slip back into your bad habits. And by then it might be harder for us to fix and correct. Right. So
0: teaching the old dog new tricks type scenario.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's good to get a couple within a shorter period of time and then space out from there. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: Mm-hmm. So and and Reagan has a, a swimming question. Um she lives nowhere near open water. I know that Reagan lives in Texas, so I, I um think that's an accurate statement. Um, she says she can only train in a pool. So how does she prepare to swim in an open water triathlon if she doesn't have access to said open water?
2: So during the season, I would say there's definitely some drills and skills that she could do to simulate open water, and one is sighting. So what I do with a lot of my triathletes is I do um, so 50 meters for those who don't know how much 50 meters is, is two lengths of the pool, one lap of the pool. So I would have them swim six 50-meter swims. And the first length, they're swimming like a lifeguard with their head up the entire way. And then the second length, they're swimming normal with their head down. And what that's stimulating is you being able to kind of sight where you're going, lifting your head and chest out of the water. And that's hard to do for that long period of time. I mean, we all learned how to swim when we were four and we doggy paddled and we swam with our head up the entire way. That's actually a pretty complicated way to swim, but it's something that needs to be built up, meaning your, your abs and your core strength need to be built up to be able to do this. So just doing anywhere from 450s to build up to 850s, doing that. What I also find is helpful is I have people, now I would do this with a buddy, but I have them swim with their eyes closed. Mm. And why I say do it with a buddy is so that the buddy can um, prevent you from slamming into the wall (laughs) um, at the other end of the pool. But sometimes if they slam into the lane lines, that's going to tell them that they're not swimming straight because the pool will give you a nice little line at the bottom of the pool, it will give you lane lines, so you kind of will know when you're going off course, but if you go off course with your eyes closed, that's going to tell you to try and focus on your stroke a little bit better, and try not to swing from one side to the next, so um, so um yeah, because it, the head up thing, the sighting thing is the big thing to train in the pool.
0: Because do you find it's pretty common for people to kind of pull toward one side so that You know, sometimes when I'm open water swimming, just not in a race scenario, but just for fun, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I tend to always veer toward the left, you know, or
2: yeah. Yeah. And it's either the fact that you're so much stronger on the right side than the left side, but it also may be because you're swinging your arm across your body Mm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like if you're always swimming to the left, then chances are what's happening is you're swinging your right arm over Towards the left side.
0: Oh, it's kinda like a canoe almost the way you steer a canoe.
2: Yeah. Mm. So it might not be, Sarah, that you have buff biceps on the right side. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) It it might be it might be because you swing too much. Oh
0: oh, don't (laughs) don't, do not swing
2: with big biceps. (laughs) Um
1: The other thing, Regan, that I found, um, just a PS, is, um, you know, typically with triathlons, you have to pick up your number the day before. Well, with most races, you have to do that. But definitely with triathlons, because they start so early and often you leave your bike there the night before um, in transition. And so when you get to the race course, obviously get in the water, get that, see what that feels like, spend 20 minutes, put on your wetsuit, take it off, all that kind of stuff. So at least you've done it once on the, you know, on the, in the conditions or the lake that you're going to do it the next day. So at least you have some you've done it once before you try it for the first time.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So we're going to wrap it up with an intense question. Um, and, um, it's Kendra who is currently training for Ironman Canada. She was wondering how much time should be taken between two work, two a day workouts. So she's doing two workouts a day. She starts work at five 15 AM. What do you think she is? I'm thinking like <laughs> sure.
0: an, and she works until 10 15. I'm I was wondering, well, maybe yeah. Is
2: she a DJ? I bet. she's a DJ. She a Oh, DJ. There you go. that's my bet. Tell Kendra that she has to respond back and see if we get we guessed her profession correctly. There you go. I like that. um
1: So she's planning to do one workout right after. um right when she finishes work at ten fifteen, so again she gets to work at five fifteen. She gets off at ten fifteen. She's gonna do one workout right away, and then she wants to do her next one right after that. Uh, And so she was wondering what you think of that, Barry, as far as the training strategy.
2: I think that's a bigger puzzle um, as far as sometimes it's dependent on her schedule. Like, is she doing three, two days in a row? Um, You know, is she is she biking and running where sometimes back to back might be beneficial because they're doing a brick workout, which is basically a bike for the B and a Run for the r i oh. e i.e., brick. And oh, I never knew that's why Yay! that
0: was. And it's, and it's
2: it was icky. Um. But,
1: well, maybe it's not. <laughs> I just and, always thought of layering it one on top of the other, like a brick. Like well, that. it probably is
2: that too. That's gonna be both. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go with both. That's probably <laughs> the good assessment. But um so it really depends on the modes of training. Like, is she, is she swimming? Is she running? Has she, you know, what did she do the day before? So for some of my triathletes, honestly, they do it back to back because of time convenience. And then others, they'll have to split it because of time convenience. Like they can't do three hours of a workout before you know, they their yeah. 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, workday. Um, so they'll do a little something in the morning and then a little something at night. Um, so whether there's a benefit to it or not, there's some strategy involved that has to be seen as a bigger picture. So if she wants to be a little more specific, she can, I don't know. Can she Facebook? She can email us and okay. we can get that to you. Yeah. yeah. If you have a question. Yeah. Cause I, mean, I that's think fine. that's just a harder question to answer without necessarily so seeing, seeing what the details picture. of the schedule are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, like um, Barry said, the important thing is like there, are, you know, you can make it work into your life. I mean, Sarah, you put in a note in here about how I trained, pretty much like one workout a day, um, but I did it because I didn't want to shower twice, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. first of all. And I knew that my energy levels just, you know, come about 430. Like the last thing I want to do is put on a sports bra. So, um, so I did everything in the morning and back to back. And sometimes it was, you know, a swim and then a short run, or sometimes, you know, it was a little bit of something and a little bit of something or one big workout, but it definitely worked. I mean, you could, so you can work with a coach or a training plan or whatever to see what works for you. You don't have to I mean, the idea of two-a-days for for a long time, for months on end,
2: you know. Yeah. And I also think, you know, something to consider, too, is race specificity, which means, like, if she's doing Ironman Canada, whether she's an age grouper or a pro, you're not going to be running any earlier than, say, 11. Um, and so what I would make my triathletes do, whereas I certainly wasn't getting off the bike before two o'clock or three o'clock when I did my Ironman. And so I would have to wait until two or three to go for my long run mm-hmm. so that I can simulate how tired and exhausted I was, you know, even if I was doing nothing that day, you know, Yeah, but, yeah. and also the temperature wise, you know, like we all love to get our runs in at eight in the morning when it's, not too warm out, but not too cool. And, um, but never in an Ironman are you running at eight in the morning. So you sometimes have to simulate the time of day that you're going to be doing this stuff too. So I think that's almost just as important as how you're spacing out your two a day workouts.
0: Mm. There's a lot of, lot of pieces of in the puzzle to consider.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we probably didn't answer it as much as she might've wanted us to, but Oh. But we still want to know what you do with Yeah, kendra. we'll, we'll yeah. listen for
0: her on the yeah. airwaves and she could just ask us that way, you know?
1: Okay. <laughs> so, So email us to, if you want more help, kendra at, runmother at gmail.com. And also, yeah, and if you happen to want to put a PS of what your vocation is, we're, we're intrigued.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Barry, for answering the, the tribe's questions. This was very enlightening for us.
2: Yeah, thank you. Well, we're on bike run, yeah, so much fun. First, and I won't be last but I know I'm gonna have a blast. I'm in
0: the swim. so that... dim do you think brick really stands for BR and then I-C-K? like bike run well bike and run I mean it makes sense I've never really heard of a swim bike brick you know I've just heard of
1: it like a swim followed by a but I've always I've always thought of it as layering. Oh yeah,
0: I think it's, yeah. Same here. I think that's kind of how it works. That's what I but, thought so too. Yeah. But it was, I was like, oh, I like the linguistics of it, but I'm not so, I'm not sure I'm buying it. Um, but... That's a but, point. but ton- right. a lot of other good. Oh, tons of good advice.
1: We'll cut her that one off. Oh yeah, we'll for sure. We'll
0: cut her, cut her a break, right? Something cut her a like break that? on the brick. Uh huh. Yeah. Give her, give her a break. I don't so, all right. Well, if you want to uh, hear more from us, head on over to Facebook. We would appreciate if you'd like our page, Run Like a Mother, the book. Our websites are anothermotherrunner.com and motherrunnerstore.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at the Mother Runner. Our books, Run Like a Mother, Train Like a Mother, and Tales from Another Mother Runner, which comes out on Tuesday, Dimity. Can you believe it? Woo-hoo! They are available in Amazon as well as its stores. And whether you're training for a try or simply running, many happy miles to you. Don't throw a brick. <laughs>